in all due respect, I call bullshit. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast where we help you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Matt Stratton. And I'm Jeff Smith. Welcome to podcast hosting, Jeff. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's so good to be in the virtual building or whatever you guys want to call it here. Um, but I'm really excited to be joining the team and uh, really excited for today's episode where we're uh, going to have sit down and have a chat with uh, Patrick Dubois. Before we get into it, though, what's with, what's new with you, Patrick? New with me? Oh, no, there's no, never anything new with me. So. Yeah, <laughs> right. Everything is always just, you know, mellow. Nothing changes, right? <laughs> I'm just a happy father, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so you do have a bit of a new role. Um, I think it was uh, as early as January of this year, right? Yeah, it was a surprise to me as well. To have me, like, <laughs> Hopefully a good surprise, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I I was thinking of doing it a little bit like more quiet and taking some time off. And then all of a sudden I find myself having a new job. So Yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Yeah, so I have this like fancy title that everybody will hate me for. I am the director of DevOps relations. Uh, and in a nutshell, I have joined the DevRel group. Uh, you know, I've done many different roles in the past and like DevRel is new to me. So that is again, like a new perspective to be in, uh, in an organization. Um, I think my job would be a little bit more on like broadening um, in the company that I joined, like SNCC to talk about security more in general, uh, you know, not just from the dev perspective, but from an ops, from a DevOps perspective. And so far it's been really great. So that's awesome. DevOps, DevRel, you know, like, uh, are you qualified for this? Do you think you, think you can do it? Or? <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe if I get my certification, I will, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, so, right. So I think it's interesting when you, you kind of made the joke about saying, you know, because you have DevOps in the title, although I think it's okay because you have relations after it. And also yeah. I'm someone with DevOps, like, so I'm a DevOps advocate, you know, and, and I, I push that. So I think, I think you and I have similar thoughts about like what the DevRel part is um, with that advocacy, right? It's a little less about the product and more about the hearts and minds and, and change and thought and approach. Um, so what are you, what are you thinking about approaching that? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned like hard, like when I put my title on LinkedIn, I made like dev heart ops, but it doesn't seem to pick up like nobody's copying that when I speak at conferences, maybe it's a Unicode problem. I don't know, but you know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, like you say, it's, I find it important to put the word relations in there because that makes it uh, less about the technology and more about people collaborating and, you know, the cultural side of it. So I, I've got a question that I've been like dying to ask um, for, I don't know how long. So, um, you know, you're you're very well known in the DevOps space. You are uh, you're one of the fathers of DevOps. But you know, 10, 15 years ago, you weren't a tech household name, right? You were you you were doing, you know, some some systems work, engineering work that we're all familiar with. And then you had this brilliant idea. And I've always wanted to ask you, like, 
What gave you the balls to think you could change an entire industry? Uh, for one, I didn't have the idea and I don't have the balls. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, you know, it, it's just uh, happened. It just happened, right? So I, I, I never take credit of thinking of, you know, this is something I come up with. This is something, you know, I did to change the world. Uh, I'm not that type of person. So, uh, you know, people keep asking me that question, but what I can say is that I, I do think I put a lot of effort into it, uh, like uh, you know, promoting the ideas and standing behind the ideas. But they were not my ideas. It's it's no, it's kind of you know, when you do research, you find a lot of different uh, little nuggets, and then you put the pieces together. Uh, does that mean you kind of invented it? No, it's just like you, you kind of saw like a little pattern. And then by amplifying that and talking to other people, it seemed that it stuck. Um, interesting side thing. I, I think it was kind of started with doing the first DevOps days. Um, probably if it would have been me, uh, I was just talking to you know John Willis, who was at the same one. If it would have been me, it would have stayed from by you know just organizing the one uh, conference. But it was because people were so excited and they want to take it further, uh, you know, that it, it got its own life and it got taken to the US, Australia, and so on. Uh, so I, I think um, I usually say it's like a, I was at the right time, you know, just happened to be there, like uh, amplifying the zeitgeist, as the Germans would say, uh, of, you know, ideas that were ripe to be, you know, discussed in the world. So I think, yeah, I'm just curious too. So we just had, you know, the 10th anniversary of DevOps days in Ghent. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting to, to observe was, so we had, you know, for, for, for listeners. So the day before the event, we had like kind of what we called a day zero. So DevOps days organizers from all over the world came together to learn from each other. And I think we, we saw that there were more people at that day zero than were at that very first DevOps days. So, so when Patrick, when you're looking at like the growth and like you said, there were people running with that and, and, and I completely understand what you're saying. You, know, you didn't invent this thing and maybe it wasn't, you know, kind of your vision of it, but you've definitely been at ground zero and seen and know what it felt like when you were at that first event and getting those people together. And then when you look at it now at what it's become, you know, kind of what, what does that feel like? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Belgians are known for their surrealism and that's how it feels, right? Uh, it's like uh, watching this from afar and then make, seeing it grow to so many events um, and also, you know, having multiple people have an angle on it, discussing things. Uh, I find that fascinating, uh, you know, for something that you need to know about me, what makes me tick is is like learning, right? So. And then from that perspective, it's been amazing that over the years, new perspectives came in, uh, new voices. And now, for example, uh, you know, um, at, at the 10th anniversary, like people from Brazil, I don't know how many events they started this year. Like this exploded. And a couple of years ago, it was in China and it just keeps going. And um, when I looked at the first day, um, I think the most rewarding part was is that people wanted to do this uh, and they were so enthusiastic about it. And the sharing was just enormous of, you know, people helping each other, whether it was like 
people helping people on a budget to fly into Belgium or just logistics or, you know, anything, this kind of cooperation uh, between a, a bunch of random individuals, uh, not, not, not necessarily uh, being paid on their free time uh, and just like, like being on a cause. Uh, it, it, it sometimes does feel a little bit like a religion, like, you know, you know, Matt, I rant it sometimes on, on Twitter where I'm in a dark mood, like, hey, this is the echo chamber. <laughs> Let's escape this. Uh, but yeah, it's hard. Uh, it doesn't take away, you know, uh, all the good ideas we have. Uh, but because I'm, uh, you know, somebody who's about learning, obviously, I want to hear like new things and new ideas and just keep expanding that. So. And would you say that desire for learning is sort of what, because like, you know, you could have these conversations in a much smaller circle, right? But, you know, you obviously had this drive to sort of make it a little bit bigger, maybe not as big as it became today, but, you know, you wanted to grow. Was that, was it the love of learning that wanted you to sort of expand and have these big conversations where, you know, a lot of people are just happy if they can get dev and ops in the same room uh, to chat about the next release? (laughs) Well, I don't think I had the drive to make it something big. So uh, I just took, you know, the opportunities that presented itself. Uh, so a little backstory, uh, like in, in organizing the first events was just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool that I can travel to country X? And then I just found some random people on Twitter, uh, you know, getting them excited and, and then going there. Uh, it wasn't because I wanted to, you know, take over the world or organize like a million events ever. Uh, uh, for me, again, that was the opportunity. I go somewhere, I get new ideas, uh, and and it, you know, it might sound selfish, but in a way, that's what made me do a lot of this stuff. So, what would you say? So, as this has expanded, and, and you've had a lot of great opportunities with this global community. Um, what are what would you say is like a couple of the most really interesting things that you've you've learned through the fact that now we have this global set of people that are are having these conversations? So like what have you learned that's really stuck with you? I think one particular thing I found uh, during the discussions is about um, like the tool relationship and the human relationship. And I'm not talking about tooling, but this whole friction point about um, you know they go hand in hand, but we tend not to want to believe it. They go hand in hand. Uh, And I found like the concept of the irony of automation, for example, an interesting one. Um, Another thing, obviously I learned uh, is like promise theory. I would never have been exposed to that uh, if it weren't for Mark Burgess. Uh, Things like uh, designing uh, things uh, came up and then the whole thing about uh, safety uh, and resilience. Uh, yeah, there's so many people that inspired me along the way uh, with new ideas. Uh, and, you know, up until today, like every day, uh, whenever I give a talk and there's like people sending me some feedback or some link, I'm like, every day I'm surprised. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So, yeah. You know, it's funny when you mentioned safety because, you know, that is sort of like the new hot thing that people are talking about, safety and systems. Um, and what do you think has been uh, driving sort of this this push towards this new conversation? You know, it's 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 really resonant on Twitter. Right. But when you get into a lot of organizations, it's not 
it's not those conversations aren't really happening right we're still talking about trying to get them to do blameless postmortems and things like that what do you think uh has sort of pushed that to the forefront in the online devops community and what do you think is preventing it from breaking through uh organizations that don't spend all day on twitter well if i would speak for maybe a smaller community saying the devops days um i think it's the the fact that people are willing to listen on those kind of human side of things um and there are companies definitely you know listening on that perspective uh because they you know either they're growing they have to learn how to deal with things or they they need to try another way or this is just how they assume things should work uh there is a definitely like a lag between you know the people now talking about things and then how it gets introduced you know the funny thing is sometimes i, I get like questions from clients in Belgium from 10 years ago, I wouldn't dream of talking to them. And they were like, oh, do you want to, you know, lead our DevOps transformations? Like what? Like we're like 10 years later. <laughs> and, and it's like, again, surrealistic, uh, but I get it, right? So change takes time. Uh, it also takes time for you to recognize that you need to change. Uh, depending on your situation, you might feel like safe, you're in a good spot. Uh, you know, it's it's really hard to, sometimes uh, see yourself uh, honestly in the mirror uh, and, you know, as an individual or as an organization uh, of the things you need to do to change and, you know, to, to get better at things. I, I think that that's, that's really true. And I think it's going back to something you, you were saying a little bit earlier with when we think about kind of the, the mindset of the DevOps days community has always had this underlying human factors approach Right. You know, we, we and, and there's that's a thing that sometimes people don't like. They're like, I don't want to see culture talks. I just want somebody to tell me how to use chef. Right. But because I think as a community, we've 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 been thinking about human factors so much that then when we start to look at the things that are coming out of the resilience engineering space that are very much about human factors, because resiliency is all about the people. It seems it's not orthogonal. Right. Like there's there's a really nice connection. And I think that's why you know, maybe we're, we're seeing it there. Whereas if you're thinking of DevOps more as like a, um, an automation story and you aren't thinking about human factors, things like safety to and resilience engineering and stuff, they, they don't, they don't marry as much to where you're coming from. Um, that's top of mind maybe. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, now that I got more into, you know, the word DevSecOps, you know, because it's not part of my daily life. Uh, I, I started like researching, like, how is it different, right? So how is the perspective different? Um, and again, a lot of the presentations I see, it's kind of, you know, similar thoughts uh, as we were explaining you know, on, on the DevOps side and sure, there's a tooling. Uh, but recently I read like uh, an interesting book. Uh, you know, it's not out yet. It's from uh, Jeffrey Fredericks and uh, Douglas Squirrel. Uh, it's going to be on IT revolution, uh, you know, again. But uh, they they talk about conversations, right? Um, they talk about conversations uh, between people at companies and to be able to have, like, honest conversations. So how often you go into a meeting and say, okay, you know, whatever they say, we need to use tool A because I've decided it's going to be too ill. You go into the meeting and they say, well, you know what? How about this? How about that? And you kind of like give these answers 
just to be like compliant in the discussion, but you're thinking no way, you know, they're going to do something else. And uh, having these honest conversations, what was interesting in the book, they almost like, like uh, lay out this conversation. He said, A, he meant B, this caused that. And then being able to be transparent about the, the things you say, the safety at the workplace, uh, you know, be, being able to do that. Um, I think that's also part of, you know, um, the human aspect to, to, to have a look at things. And, uh, you know, that, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, uh, I do have to say uh, quite often in this space, uh, when we you have speakers like, you know, sometimes me or you, Matt, we speak up and we feel like we're this amateurs on these topics, but it does resonate somehow. So as long as it, uh, you know, makes people look at more, <laughs> maybe for more professional things or more things in that, that we can reach out to, um, you know, that's interesting. Uh, you know, that's the caveat, you know, they don't have to believe me <laughs> by seeing it. Like go to one of the specialists that know that field, but, you know, being able to see similarities, uh, you know, translate this messaging, these feelings, these, these kind of opportunities. Um, yeah, again, learning, right? For me, it's like fascinating stuff. You know, you've, you've said a couple of times, uh, sort of in a theme in some of your responses, is around honest conversations, around looking at yourself or the organization in the mirror. And um, one of the things that I've always seen when I talk to people, and I'd love to get your opinion on this because you've talked to just so many more people, so many different teams, um, people are notoriously sort of like bad at measuring their own capabilities, right? Like what their teams are are capable of delivering, whether it be due to workload, whether it be to the skill set. And I think this is an important thing in the DevOps transformation. How have you seen teams evaluate and sort of have those conversations around what they're capable of delivering as part of this DevOps transformation, right? Maybe they get to a point where they're like, yes, we're going to jump straight to Kubernetes, right? But Kubernetes isn't DevOps and there's ways to do that without delivering that. So how are folks sort of measuring themselves to say like, this is what we're capable of delivering today? Well, it begins a little bit with if you're aware that you're not good at something, that's the first step. And, and you know, that's, that's sometimes hard because if nobody tells you or you are not uh, self-evaluating yourself, that's hard. Once you kind of get a feeling where your, you know, your problem might be, uh, that's something you can measure. It's harder to measure like the number of deploys a day or, you know, uptime and stuff. Uh, but Quite, you know, in the beginning, and it's a, it's a it's a little bit of a dilemma in my head. So, in the beginning, I thought like the more people sit together and the more they talk, uh, you know, that's a sign of you know good healthy collaboration, right? Uh, but then I uh, I read an article and it said like it's not the number of uh, interactions at a party that make it a better party. Uh, it, it's just, you know, the quality is important and, you know, what we talk about and how we deal in the conversations. And then the real uh, kind of paradox come to me is that, uh, but we're using services and we don't talk to them anymore. So is this the end of the conversation? Is this how DevOps ends? Like everything is a, a service that is kind of behind like an API or something. Uh, you know, we're back to silos and, you know, uh, you know where are we at? Um, but I think the difference there is uh, you not, don't necessarily need to communicate. 
as long as the other kind of helps the other. Uh, so if a SaaS is aligned with your goal and it works well, you know, there's no specific need to talk. And I think that's the difference between uh, a lot of the kind of old op style is that they weren't empowering people to do their jobs uh, in a way that they needed to. Uh, it was very much like, yes, we are doing our jobs and that's our jobs, but they weren't looking uh, to help another person. And um, interestingly, love um, the fact that somebody would help you coming back to the point of trust actually builds part of that trust. Is the other person willing to understand what I'm doing uh, and really help me get through, you know, help my goals? Um, and so it's, it's, it's almost like if you don't hear too much of the friction points, uh, then things are good. Obviously, if you don't talk to each other, you know, you don't hear about the friction points either. But I mean, in an honest way, if you look at the friction points and everything's going smoothly or you have like less incidents uh, or, you know, the things that mature, whether it is in the technology, in, you know, being uptime or in the human conversations or expanding what you need to do. Um, I, I found that kind of, you know, personally, maybe the best measurement when I see people doing it. Uh, but it, it is really hard uh, to look on this meta perspective to yourself. Uh, and sometimes, you know, an external person can help, uh, you know, a friend. Uh, it depends on that. But um, I think it's almost like human uh, that you think everything you do is kind of great. Although there's, you know, definitely people who think like, we're not doing great. So it's, it's like hard <laughs> <Right>. to tell. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it's, it's like a couple things, right? Part of it is Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Where we, we overestimate our capability. Um, but then what can lead into that is the aperture by which you understand what capabilities are. So if I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put myself on a spectrum of capability, if I think that X is the furthest you can be and I'm close to X, I'm like, I'm doing a damn good job. But what I don't know is that really the spectrum goes all the way over to Y. So I'm only halfway there because I, you know, and I think to your point about sometimes having those external factors who have context. And I think that's why one of the things that's really, really fascinating to me is how, the sharing around when it comes to DevOps days and thinking about things like DevOps Enterprise Summit and how companies and enterprises are, are so much better about sharing their stories than we used to be, you know? Uh, so, so when we understand that, wait a minute, you can do more, it's capable, that, that capability exists, that kind of resets where we feel we are on the, you know, I don't want to say maturity model, but where we are on the journey, because that map is, and that's like what, you know, Dr. Forsgren talks about, right, is that map is always changing, you know, it's expanding, and our knowledge of how big the map is, is changing, as well as the map itself getting bigger, so we constantly have to be able to, to look at how we're evaluating ourselves, and it's always within the context of what we already know, that makes it hard. And I love what you guys said about what you said about trust too, right? Sort of being the focal point. Um, and I think one of the things that we struggle with on a very, very uh, a micro level is 
uh, having the vulnerability maybe to be the first person to say that they don't know um, to sort of get the ball rolling, right? Because I've definitely been in a meeting where, you know, four of us are talking about a thing that none of us knows what the hell we're talking about, right? We're all talking out of our ass. And then it just takes someone to say like, I don't know what that acronym means. And then suddenly everyone's like, yes, okay, thank God we can have an honest conversation about this. <laughs> we, we used to, it's just funny, a little, little side note. So back, and this is, this is telling you about the time because the story involves two-way pagers. Um, but I had a, a colleague of mine, a fellow system engineer, and we had a game we ran um, for over a year at our organization where if we were ever in a meeting together, one of us would text the other on the two-way pager some phrase, just some made-up phrase. And then the other person had to use that phrase in the meeting as if it was a saying. We played this game for a year and nobody ever questioned anything we came up with. Because people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a redheaded woodpecker. You know, and we're like, and they, but it goes back to that point. The interesting is nobody wants to be the one to say, I don't know what that is. And and when you have that as part of your culture, people don't question and it's hard. Like you have to have that vulnerability and, and you have to, and that, that requires creating such a, a culture of learning and a culture of safety, right? Like that it's okay to do that. That's hard stuff. But I think it's great that we are getting better at that as a community um, by sharing more stuff. Yeah, it's it's nice when you get older, you feel less of the stress that you, you have to comply. So you just say, you know, you can kind of speak your mind. Uh, it, it reminds me of, you know, in 2010 at a conference, uh, a gentleman called Nelson uh, Stephen Nelson Smith. Uh, so he's like this impeccable English man in like perfect British accent, you know, well-dressed, like, you know, you know, the perfect man. And he goes to the microphone because there was a panel on stage. And he just says, like, in, in this very nice voice, in all due respect, I call bullshit. You're right. <laughs> this is, like, I, that was like, you know, he really tried to express that. But, you know, we need to be able to do that. Uh, and it's it's so hard sometimes. And uh, even we doubt ourselves uh I was at the airport um, recently and uh, the person I was trying to get into the country. And so the person looks at my passport and he says, okay, what are you doing here? Uh, yeah, I'm speaking at a conference. Okay. What kind of conference? Yeah. IT. Uh, and he looks at me like, why are you speaking and not me? And I was like speechless. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, I, 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 why, why did it pick me? Like, yeah, it could be you. And he, he started to say, well, you know, are you, you're evading my questions. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, you, you kind of put your, have to put yourself in perspective. Um, and it's, it is easier when you live in Belgium. You're this tiny, you know, uh, country. You're not in the U.S., uh, I sometimes compare myself uh, to, you know, Asterix and Obelisk, uh, this kind of little town, uh, you know, being, you know, somewhere in the world. Uh, but, you know, I learned that uh, it doesn't really matter how big your company or whatever, uh, you know, if, if, if you're saying the right things uh, and that could be, you know, be you being a manager, you being, you know, another position, you know, speak your mind and, and that's important. And that comes back again to trust, create that environment where people can do that. 
I don't mean just blurt out things. You know, that's another thing. Yeah. We're, we're trying to live mean, in a society here, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in your experience, when you were when you were starting out, right, was that was that something that sort of uh, courage to to be that vulnerable person? Was that something that came naturally to you, or was it something that uh, a leader inspired you to be able to do, or did it just come with time and age and experience? So I don't think. Um, I had this in me from the start. Um, I, I was kind of a very shy person and thinking like whatever I think like my neighbor could have come up with. So it, it's it's like never special. Uh, but maybe it's because people kept asking, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? That I learned to speak up and be less afraid because they let me speak my mind uh, way more on it. Uh, so that was nice. Yeah, I, and I think sometimes too, it, it, it makes it easier when people are seeking out your opinion, and then it also makes it easier when your when your opinion isn't like you know uh, you're not taking it as like the de facto fact, right? Like this is absolutely the way it is when you're when you're allowed to have some give in your opinion and state like, hey, this is opinion, and I could be wrong. It it becomes a little easier to have that sort of vulnerability. I think at least in my experience. Yeah, one of the talks I was preparing, I didn't know where it was going, right? So I was just like putting down some slides. Sounds, sounds, right. sounds like standard talk preparation. <laughs> My favorite yeah, yeah. talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I was trying to explain that, that I, I didn't feel like secure because how, you know, I did some research, but I'm like no expert. And, and, and you know, you talk about that stuff. And then somebody said to me, well, you don't have to talk like you know everything. Just say that you found this and that you would like another opinion. And, and, and that was really helpful in reframing how I felt about the presentation of, you know, just, you know, if we could talk about this stuff and, and then, you know, you learn, you get like new ideas and, and people say, hey, yeah, you know, what about this? Like, yeah. Yeah, so you had uh, you had poked a little bit of fun at the uh, echo chamber of the DevOps community a little bit, and uh, that's one of my favorite pastimes is just you know stepping out and saying like, "Hey guys, you know we're we're a small sample set, and in reality, there's a lot of people that are still struggling with some some issues that w- we may consider like you know basic or whatever, but they're not for various organizational reasons, right? Um, one of the things that I think I, I see a lot in my conversations um, are the organizations where uh, one group is particularly fired up about the, the whole DevOps concept and they're moving forward and they're making progress, but there's other laggards in the organization, right? For whatever reasons. Um, it could be it could be they're just not bought into it. It could be that they think it's a waste of time or they could be that they think what they're doing is actually working. Have you talked with folks that are experiencing that? And, and how would you suggest folks go about tackling those conversations to say like, hey, you know, uh, there's this movement and we should really be on this train because uh, it has all of these great positive outcomes as, you know, well documented by things like, you know, the state of DevOps report and, you know, blog posts and all of that fun stuff. So I would definitely not go in saying, hey, there's this cool stuff and it's what everybody's doing. Uh, (laughs) All the cool kids are doing it. (laughs) No, but um, actually, I, I think the fact that I was known for some things as actually sometimes, I'm not saying used against me or backfired on me. Uh, no, we're not doing it like this here, right? So, yeah, I haven't even said anything. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm just trying to get a conversation with you and, and try to understand what your problem is. Um, I've 
you know, I've seen, it's not that I do consultancy like for, you know, hundreds of companies, but, you know, from my personal experience, uh, I've experienced one company where we're in and said, okay, let's get this together and so on. Uh, and there was a couple of folks that just, you know, weren't happy. Uh, they, uh, it, it didn't convince them. Uh, they didn't see the, uh, see the benefit. Uh, I learned that sometimes because this, um, they just had so many bad experiences, right? So for them to, you know, coming back to the word trust, you <laughs> uh, to to do something that will improve stuff, uh, you know, that's you know for some people that's really hard, given the context, the company, the history you have. Um, and I think what I learned about it is that it almost starts with a belief. And if you don't have the belief, for example, that while working together, that things will improve, if you still believe, uh, for example, not still, you know, that's that's a judgment. Uh, if you believe like, yes, we can document everything and then we can work through an API that how we work together, uh, you know, that's, that's a different way of working. Um, I, you know, sometimes I would say, yes, we have all the research and the data to back it up. But, you know, you might be special and I don't know the context. So I would never go in with this one way of thinking and so on without knowing history and context of a place. Uh, it's like when I did firewalling, right? Uh, you get an auditor and they look at your rules and they say, this is like so many open ports and this is so unsecure. And then we try to explain them, well, you know what, this is what's needed to do the business, right? Uh, you know, we had to open the port. If we didn't, we lost this client. If we didn't, it was this. And, and, and it's kind of this history and perspective that, uh, you know, you first kind of have to learn. Uh, maybe it's also because it's less my style to go in and be on the barricades and, and try to do a change, you know. You know, by pulling people, uh, I would rather go from you know supporting people, and you know, gain confidence uh, by a little doing little things that they kind of make see that there's some progress. But again, you you can't change the beliefs, and if if you can't change the beliefs, uh, you have two options: either you leave, or you know, they leave, and uh, it's 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 hard. But um, I think part of having a company sometimes is that you're entitled to say, well, this is a company and these are our beliefs. If, if you don't, you know, you're, you don't agree with them, then maybe there's not a place for it. But on the flip side, obviously, you want to have diversity of opinions. <laughs> so otherwise, you're just like cloning your opinions and they, they become worthless as well. So yeah, it's a thin line, but, you know, looking for history, looking for context, why, this is happening. Uh, I would say this is the first thing. And then, you know, try to see uh, by little successes. Uh, and in that way, it's, it's not different than any change, introducing any change, whether it's agile or ITIL or, or whatever, like any new cultural change or uh, in a company. It's just like baby steps, find the champions, find people who, you know, think like mine, uh, uh, book some successes. If you don't have successes, you know, question yourself. Uh, if you do have success, question yourself. <laughs> so it, it really never ends. Uh, and I think what the interesting part is that um, 
the bottleneck will always move. And uh, it might be uh, that you've just set up your CI/CD and it's working beautifully and you're bleeding money because you don't have like an invoicing system. <laughs> I don't know. So right. there's like so many options you, you have to look at. Yeah, and I love what you said there. Uh, there were two things that you said that really jumped out at me. Uh, one, you know, organizations have preferences, right? And, uh, you know, the preference isn't right or wrong. It's in the context of the organization. And like you said, you can exercise your free will, hopefully, by by finding another company. Now, I know that uh, not everyone is as mobile as everyone else. So, you know, there, there's concerns there. But recognizing them as preferences sort of helps to uh, uh, set your sort of mind and your con- your context around that. The other thing around, like, business context I thought was so insightful because there's oftentimes as technologists, we're so focused on the technology and what's right and what's wrong with how to implement technology that we forget about the purpose of the business is not the technology necessarily, right? It is to achieve some sort of business outcome. And how do we massage and merge our technical preferences, our technical beliefs with the needs of the business to make sure that, you know, we are one, not putting the business at jeopardy by making terrible technological decisions, but at the same time, not being so iron fisted that we're strangling the business's capabilities. I think four years ago, I had to make a decision whether to go into a tech company again or not. I decided, okay, I'm going to try to prove that DevOps day, uh, DevOps, not DevOps days, DevOps tattoo, but DevOps is like an awesome thing. And, you know, we can make a difference uh, by adhering to the IDs. Uh, I didn't go into a tech company, but I was uh, on a you know mobile and video streaming for t- television shows, so it kind of like like a different tech. And um, you know, it took us one year to get the tech straight, uh, and then you know it, we came from Git pulls on production machines to you know <laughs> what we should do. Uh, but after four years, uh, I realized of you know working really hard that. We were, um, you know, if you look at a company uh, from a global perspective, we improved sales, we improved marketing, you know, we, we, we worked with the legal people to, to kind of make sure everything was okay, GDPR, you know, all the stuff where we needed to do. And I think my final thought was, but we're not making any money, so there is no business fit. So... So whatever we do, it's like a tiny part and all the cogs have to work together. Uh, but even that might not be enough just to make things work. Uh, and uh, if you look at it, you know, again, the bottleneck just moved, moved, moved while we improved things in our company. And then the only thing that we can improve was, you know, market fit. So. Yeah, it's one of the reasons you got to really celebrate your wins, right? Because, you know, the win that you did this week is next week's bottleneck. <laughs> so, so when it happens, you, you really got to be like, like yeah, that. we did it. <laughs> next week, you're like, oh, man. Oh, man, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's a thing that always pops up. Um, so uh, talking about te- uh, teams, companies, organizations that are going through their DevOps transitions and whatnot, one of the things that uh, – comes up sometimes is you get this alignment between dev and ops, right? And things are going great. Uh, you're, you've, you've got your synergies, right? The teams are driving, but who's left out of that conversation is project, right? And the project organization, project management teams are 
are still sort of left behind in this um, very waterfall surrounded by Gantt charts sort of world. And it creates friction as they try to engage with uh, some of these teams, especially ops, right? Um, have you seen like good interaction patterns between uh, DevOps and project in this sort of new DevOps and Agile world where there are some organizations that still need a project plan, need a Gantt chart, and they're not necessarily uh, okay with things evolving <laughs> as we uh, as we build solutions out. It's interesting. Um, I think there's a, a book called No Estimates, which has like no projects. <laughs> uh, but, and, you know, there's a huge debate on things, you know, where you should make estimates or planning or like how long ahead of time. Um, I, I, I usually think of it as, you know, kind of a project projection uh, like we think historic points that it's not a definitive thing. It's like always making sure we're working on the most important thing, right? So if we go to projects that have been said uh, and they, uh, you know, they made this planning a year ago and they, they said, this is, this is the way it's going to be. And we already know when our milestones are going to happen <laughs> and everything's fixed. Uh, I think, my usual approach is that, yeah, we'll, we will dance around it uh, in a way that we'll, we'll kind of make something happen, that deadline. But obviously, if you're not willing to negotiate features or timing or resources, you know, it, it's like an endless uh, discussion on those things. So you need a degree of freedom uh, to work with that. Uh, usually when you start building up the confidence again, that instead of them seeing something at the end of the project uh, that you can deliver like that smaller chunks, uh, they get more um, accepting of you willing to change the plan. If you don't give them anything, like nothing is happening, they get nervous. Uh, so my usually approach is, yeah, okay, well, you know, We'll play this game along, you know. We'll do the milestones, but uh, we, uh, if we do this, we need like uh, a stake in the ground in discussions as well. Uh, and if you don't have that, I don't think there's any way that you can solve it. Uh, but if you can, you get on this personal level. You kind of make this, you know, explain things more. Uh, so the key there is like talk to them uh, and. Sometimes it's not only talking, it's about educating them or listening to them. What, what are their real goals? Uh, you know, can we, can we rephrase how you plan things and still hit your goal uh, in a way, the real goal, not the one you wrote down, uh, and, and then work from there? Uh, so that, that's been helpful for me a couple of times. Yeah, because really a lot of times project managers are really just looking to see how your task is going to connect or interact with another task, right? So, you know, understanding that chain of events, you know, can can go huge. Uh, I think one of the reasons why it was fresh in my mind is like I'm recently engaged in a scenario where uh, I'm being asked to estimate things that I've never done before, right? So there's a whole host of, you know, known unknowns and unknown unknowns, right? <laughs> things that are, are just going to pop up. So uh, that is very, that 
felt very antithetical to the way product or the project team is accustomed to working, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, if you've built one bridge, you've built many bridges and therefore all the bridges should take roughly the same amount of time. Um, so sort of like dovetailing into that, right? Um, uh, another thing that comes up is, you know, for example, in this specific scenario I'm talking about is a Kubernetes implementation. I've never implemented Kubernetes, right? So there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know. The conversation that we were having uh, with a friend of mine was, at what point do you feel like with the DevOps tool chain that it is appropriate to perhaps jump over a particular technology to get to the end state. So, right, you've got a company that's in the data center. Instead of going from the data center to the cloud using EC2 instances, they want to jump straight to Kubernetes because, you know, EC2 is old, right? So I think of it like, you know, third world countries that are like, we're not going to develop underground phone lines because that doesn't make any sense. We're going to jump straight to mobile and we're going to get rid of all the legacy baggage that comes with those phone lines. Do you think that's appropriate in a technology organization or do you think that, you know, we should do the whole uh, crawl, walk, run in most circumstances? Well, it seems you already made up that it isn't a good idea. So, uh, you know, that you're already biased in a way. I'm so coming back biased, to the honest right? conversations, you should have the conversation saying, well, you know, what are we trying to achieve here instead of like, okay, what, what, what's the tool we're going to use? Uh, so people find it surprising that, you know, me working in DevOps and uh, we had like this meetup last week and about Kubernetes and uh, the presenter asked uh, them to raise their hand. Uh, who is not using Kubernetes? And I was the only one raising my hand. <laughs> and like, why wouldn't I do it? Because I, I did not feel friction in the technology I was using. So why would I go to something else if this was enough for me uh, to do it? Uh, maybe in the future, I have like a more compelling need or, you know, to do that. And sometimes I understand the need uh, is to be more up to date because, you know, you might find uh, more people for hiring or you will get still the patches and so on. So it's not that you need to neglect like uh, updates, but if, if you're feeling fine and you're happy and you see like in the near future, uh, that's still going to be okay. Uh, you know, you, you shouldn't just jump on things. Um, you know, we had the same debate on serverless. Oh, no, everybody has to go with serverless. You know, understand your use case uh, and, and go for it. I sometimes think uh, being mature is to be able to figure out which tool you apply on the right time. It doesn't mean that you don't have to know all the tools, but learning all the tools gives you a perspective on when to select like the right tool. The same with programming language. Should we just all go for Go? Uh, no, that was a pun that I didn't intend. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it it's kind of gives that feeling like what, what problem are you trying to solve? Uh, and that makes sense. Uh, I, you know, sometimes people might think that I'm, um, you know, a hype person. Uh, but I think I always try to understand why we should use that tool and to articulate why that is useful. Uh, so I can see, a, a, you know, a need for Kubernetes, or I, I can't see a need for multiple things, but uh, I would have to know more about your context to see whether it's the most appropriate tool and not because it's like the, the, the tool that everybody uses at the same time. I think the same has happened with, you know, 
squads of Spotify that everybody's trying to copy this model inside of their company. Uh, they kind of forget like what the history was, why it was useful. Uh, Spotify doesn't use it anymore themselves. So it's kind of, you know, learn uh, why uh, these things are doing. And, and again, like you said before, it comes back to the why. Why should I do this? Uh, and be able to articulate that and not just being like a, a resume-driven development or operations. So. so you guys heard it here first. Patrick Dubois said, I do not need to run Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title. Well, Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're a smart guy, so you know I'll, I'll trust you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know you, you're a big fan of learning. You're a big fan of you know uh, uh, staying educated. You know, what sort of tips would you give for those folks that are you know trying to stay on top of things, trying to stay on top of uh, how the community is moving and the sort of conversations that are taking place? I myself, every time I go to into a new domain, have you know a, a, a way of doing it. So the first thing is to understand which keywords match the domain, right? So you kind of have to figure out. And usually I do that by reading some blog posts. You know, you do a Google search, you find some blog posts, and you go from there. Um, the second phase is usually, like, when I know these keywords, and I, I understand this is not given for everybody, but, you know, it could be if you're not doing things the legal way, but you just like, <laughs> uh, you you buy or something, uh, like uh, several books, like get multiple perspectives from that domain and not just one. Uh, and you will see they have usually about 70% in common that makes you learn the correct keywords that you kind of have to find uh, matches that stuff. And then you will get some different perspectives that are, working that field. Uh, then I usually go through following a couple of more blogs because then I know like where these people hang out, which communities, uh, you know, what words, what concepts. I look at some slides on, uh, you know, a slide share or somewhere. Uh, I get an even better understanding. And then usually when I get more and better on this stuff, I will go to Twitter and follow people there. Because then you you almost got from you know knowing nothing but a couple of words to the direct feed of thoughts of people. Uh, I'm not saying this is suitable for everybody, but this is kind of my process how I uh, trying to learn like new domains. That's great. That's great. Well, Patrick, I want to thank you for making my debut episode extremely easy. <laughs> it was a great <laughs> conversation. Um, where can our listeners catch up with you? Uh, I think I'm mostly on Twitter. So Patrick Dubois on Twitter. Uh, I try to do my research on the ocean. Uh, on the ocean. No, in the <laughs> that's ocean. great. Let's do that. That's yeah. right. I'm game. Yeah, Let's do that. DevOps days Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're on yeah. a boat, y'all. We're on a boat. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Do what do you, you got going on, Matt? Do you have well, actually, Patrick? Do you have any? Do you have any upcoming uh, conference stuff to talk about? Any any speaking stuff coming up in the near future? Yeah, I will be speaking at QCon in London. I will be speaking uh, in Melbourne uh, for uh, DevOps talks. I will be speaking at DevSecCon uh, in uh, Sydney. Um, 
I will be in San Francisco for the new O'Reilly conference. So how long do I get? That, that, that's probably a good, good start. Slacker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that Devro it's my job man. now. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that great? Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll be uh, at DevOps Days New York, uh, March 3rd and 4th. I'm pretty excited about that. They, they do a great event and there's, there's some stellar speakers and me. Um, so they got to have somebody to bring the curve down, I guess. And I'll also, I'm really excited. I'm doing a workshop at SRECon America's West in Santa Clara at the end of March. So my colleague, George Brand and I will be doing a workshop on with a very clever title, blameless postmortems, how to actually do them, which is why I should never be allowed to name anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for me, I'll be at uh, every Thursday. I'm at uh, Panda Express. Um, they've they've got a really great uh, lunch special <laughs> that I enjoy, and it's close to the office, uh, so that's fantastic. Uh, but no, I don't have any speaking engagements lined up yet. It's still early in the year for me. But you can catch me on Twitter, Dark and Nerdy. That's where I like to have my fun. Now, if you want to do something about those upcoming speaking engagements that you don't have, Jeff, you can always, and listeners as well, don't forget, if you go to devopsdays.org slash speaking, that'll give you a great list of all the open CFPs at DevOps Days around the world. And speaking of that, by the time you're listening to this, because it's tomorrow when we're recording it, the CFP for DevOps Days Chicago will be open. And we'd love to get your proposals. So go to devopsdays.org slash Chicago to check that out. Um, it's going to be our seventh year of doing DevOps Days Chicago. This is the beautiful thing about being a podcast host. I get to plug my own event. So, uh, and <laughs> Jeff, Jeff has been at every single DevOps Days Chicago. So he's... Uh, and I'm going to keep it going, baby. Yeah, I'm keep yeah. it going. We got to get you there one of these times, Patrick. So we'll work on that. Yeah, um, and you can see Matt's jacket. I, I like. I totally love Matt's jacket. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you can only come for that as well. So. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. So head over to arrestedDevops.com/slash/godfatherofdevops for this episode's show notes. If you go to arrestedDevops.com slash iTunes, you can leave us a review in the iTunes store. This actually does help other people find the podcast. And who knows, we might read your review uh, on the air, so to speak, whatever that is. And if you're into Spotify and iHeartRadio, you can find us over there too. We are all over the internet. Awesome. Well, Patrick, thanks so much again for joining us today. Had a really good time chatting with you. Yeah, it was really fun. So I am not saying that just because I have to. It is because I have fun with you guys. And I'm trying to have an honest conversation right. with you guys. That's Absolutely. right. That's right. <laughs> Keep it real. So with that, I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. I'm Jeff at Dark and Nerdy. This is Arrested DevOps. And remember, there's always DevOps. In the banana stands?